cliffcentral.com. A warm welcome to Leadership Transformation Platform, multiplying authentic leaders, moving society. It's great to be with you. And, uh, of course, I'm Adrian Grunewald. Love running these weekly masterclasses, which includes usually a master lesson and then an interview uh, with a top leader, someone that's been relevant or are still relevant in our society. With me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. Welcome, Louis. Thank you, Adrian. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Visit leadershipplatform.com for all things leadership. You should know that by now. One word, two Ps in the middle, leadershipplatform.com. Articles and a lot of content on leadership there. So our leadership masterclass today, I'm quite excited. It's a man that's been around the block and somehow kept himself very relevant in terms of leadership because, I don't know, about 20 years ago, he had already been the CEO or the MD of Pep Stores and took that business into Africa and, and Europe. So um, then 20 years at least passed since then, but he's still very relevant. His name is Tais Lopesha from MJL Consulting, currently chairman and board member, Devetsov Wines, also board member Power Group and the Coaching Center. He's an integral leadership consultant, facilitator, mentor, and coach. And uh, and it's just absolutely wonderful to have with us Tais Lopesha. Tais, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Louis. It's good to have you with us all the way from Cape Town. Um, and we're sitting here in Gauteng. You have an impeccable leadership career, Tais, MD, Pep International, as I said, and director, which ended in 97. And that's, gosh, can you believe, 20 years ago. But you did wonderful things there. Uh, other organizations like AECI and Deluxe Paint and others pop up in your career, big clients that you still work with. So over the last 20 years since you, shall we say, led such a big brand, there are other brands involved, but you've remained relevant. And, and, and just now in the second half of our Leadership Masterclass, we'll, we'll chat with you about broader leadership issues and turnaround leadership, that sort of thing. But for now, a conversation around authentic leadership with you, Tace, is your, you know, your views on that. We, we absolutely believe that the part solution to our global challenges, certainly to our challenges in South Africa, is is to multiply at greater speed authentic leaders. Um, I'm starting to cotton on to the word authentic universal leaders, and we've had lots of discussions like that. So when we put leaders on here and experts, we ask them to talk to us about that. So, yeah, kick us off. You've got a general context you want to give around authentic leadership. Let's discuss that for a moment. Then we go to some points that to you describe authentic leadership. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, to me, what I've learned, especially in, in the last uh, few decades, is uh, that one has to approach it from a holistic or an integral point of view. That's according to the principles of Ken Wilber and also here in South Africa, Paddy Pampalis. Uh, they've done uh, fantastic work, obviously lots of other people as well, but uh, to to give the, the listeners some reference, if you Google these people, you'll find out. Um, and also in South Africa, if you if you want to connect, uh, Paddy is, is your is your your lady. The important thing is that uh, one must do it at all levels of what people and organisations are all about. Uh, and I'm not going to go into detail into that. I take it you've done some of that uh, discussion with other people, but if you want me to, we can talk more about integral specifically. Okay, so so you're talking integral, holistic, but let's take a moment on integral. I mean, integral is 
is is more visible. It's what's not visible. It's about individuals. It's about relationships. It's about the structures. It's about how the individual shows up. It's 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 quite comprehensive. It's it's universal. I mean, no human being can escape the integral mindset or the integral philosophy or principle. Correct. Absolutely. If you go into the jungles of South America and you were able to understand their language and observe them, you will see that they basically also practice this whole holistic way of dealing with them. During modernism, we started to, to move into pure management and away from, from leadership. Uh, instinctively, we, we are uh, animals that would like to work in a holistic way, an integral way. And that's, uh, that's exciting to me. When I started to find this out in my career, I found a way of how to switch on people who work for me. Um, I found ways in which to bridge gaps between racial groups and, and different interest groups uh, and be able to get people together. And, and even though they don't talk the same language or have the same ideas, but they can work together in a, a way that uh, drives the organization forward. Yeah, so for me, this holistic or integral approach, shall we say, is also universal. So that's what you're really saying. You can go to the jungles, you go to the city, you go to China, you go wherever you want. It's about individuals. It's about relationships. It's about your environment around you. It's about the seen, the unseen. It's about, um, it's like the iceberg principle, isn't it? It's, it's what you can see on top, what shows up in the environment or in you, but it's also what happens below. And, um, and there's lots of other universal principles that leaders must adhere to. Uh, you know, if they want to be successful in today's crazy world. All right. So, so it's not an isolation thing for you. It, it is holistic. It's broader. Absolutely. But, um, uh, you mentioned the iceberg. You know, the way we feel is the way we act. This morning, there's a lot of people uh, who are in traffic. Um, so they get to the office and they, they feel agitated. So, that will affect the way in which they talk, the way in which they come across, which again will have an impact on the feelings of the group as a whole, and that will affect the way that they act. Uh, so that's that's sort of a four-quadrant way in which we look at things, of, of trying to find out where is this at. When you just manage something, you say, I take A and B, put it together, and I get C. And if I can do that very efficiently and smart, I, I've got a business. Yes, you have what, as you used it with the, the iceberg above the line, you have a business. But how do you motivate your people? How are you motivated? Uh, that's where it really becomes interesting to understand the so-called soft issues. Yeah, and Louis, you often feel the so-called soft issues are the hard issues. I mean, that's what matters more and more in today's world. Yeah, we're using the expression taste soft issues far less because the soft issues become the main issues. Taste is one uh, comment you made, uh, which is, is touches me. When you say you found a way to meet the gaps between race, uh, racial and other groups, immediately, uh, knowing your background, I know this, 
gives a great deal of personal satisfaction to be able to feel a kind of confidence that one can cross these gaps. And, you know, we've experienced it in our way, and it, it makes life really so much more valuable to feel that one has a way of, of crossing um, that gap and make it really authentic. Now, let's let's look at that a little bit more in the second half because that's very relevant to our environment. Thais, let's start with your principles that to you describe authentic leadership. Start with who you are. Be authentic, you say. Yes. <clears throat> we are all, uh, as individuals, we are unique. We know that. We're like fingerprints. Um, and therefore, if you start and you are uh, becoming a leader, then you normally will follow your instincts. And in terms of if you're a Jungian uh, psychologist, uh, they will say, well, maybe your archetypes will give you some instinctive ways in which you will deal with it. And this is good. We need to, however, understand who we are, what our strengths and our weaknesses are. And uh, maybe later on we can talk a bit more in detail when we, we get to some of the other points. But don't try to be who you are not. So often you will come into an organization that's got a very dynamic leader. And after a while you would see that everyone in the company emulates the boss. Um, and in some cases it might work because might have the same uh, personalities and way of doing um, but in a lot of cases, it just turns out to be a lot of mini-me's and minions in the organization. And then when that, that uh, leader retires, it's like a big oak tree. You know, nothing grows under an oak tree. There's uh, just barren soil. Mm. So uh, one has to start with yourself. You have to be authentic to yourself. And as a leader, you have to understand that people are that way inclined. They act from their instincts. Yeah, so interesting point. I, I mean, uh, every leadership program starts with self-awareness these days. There is a, a general consensus that self-awareness is important, that leaders need to know themselves. But somehow I think in 2017 we've got to grasp some truth here, and that is that, firstly, most leaders would think they know themselves. Problem number one. Uh, Problem number two is even those leaders who know themselves need to realize that they have to know themselves at a deeper level than ever before because the winds of change and pressure are blowing harder than ever before. Leaders um, who thought they know themselves uh, stand up in this this uh, ferocious wind blowing and, and they find themselves still falling over because their roots are not deep enough. And then maybe, maybe there are those few who are truly rooted deep enough that no matter matter what the winds do around them, they remain standing. So your comment on that, uh, you know, I think we're at a, at that space where we have to start interrogating this self awareness thing, knowing yourself at another level. Yes, exactly, Adrian. I think you uh, you said it very well. It's important to understand your personality, not just in terms of your mother who always said to you, Johnny, you've got a quick temper. Uh, that that's not good enough. You need to to do a scientific test, and there are various. There's the DISC, the Myers-Briggs, which is based on, on Jungian theory. That's where the introvert-extrovert thing comes from. And then what we like very much at uh, TCC uh, in our coaching is the Enneagram. It seems to be the most uh, up-to-date way of, of looking at human beings. The idea is that um, 
we can assess someone's personality. That's one part of the whole integral landscape that we need, or as some people would call it, a lens that you would look at someone. If you know what personality type you are, then you will know what, in general, are the the, the good part of, of being that type of person and also the not-so-good part. So that will give you things to work on. Or if you cannot work on it at all, it will give you a warning sign of saying, well, maybe I have to appoint someone in that position because when this and that happens, my personality acts in this and this way. So first of all, the personality is very important to understand that. Also, when you deal with others, you uh, you need to get an understanding what their personality is all about. Uh, you can start off in a marriage, but certainly, um, or a family. But in business, that's very important. And you know, if you if you put it all together, even a business will also have a personality, which you can also assess in a, a quite a scientific way, so that uh, you know what uh, what's going on uh, in the organization. And again, you know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. So, I would say that's one way. Uh, to know one another, and, and obviously there's there's a few others that we can talk about as well. But maybe you want to comment to this. Yeah, I, I think let's move on to the next one. But before we do, um, I think all these tools are remarkable. And uh, as you say, the Enneagram that that the coaching center promotes is, I, I agree, is probably one of the most comprehensive ones out there. There's also a time and a place for someone to to be quiet and think. More deeply and be asked difficult questions where they can ponder intensely about who they are, what their personal drivers are, uh, you know, what events in their lives change their personality perhaps or why they act the way they do now. Um, it, it's just, it's just, let's just maybe leave it there. Louis, final comment on the need to know myself and where we used to know ourselves. At a level of 50, let's say my root was 50 meters deep. It's got to be 100 meters deep now. It's got to double whatever it was. And I'm not sure that we as a society are, are at a, or in a space where we know exactly how to get leaders to think that deep and to know themselves that deep. But we must find a way. Louis? Taste <clears throat> just building on this principle, though. You mentioned when you sp- spoke of the being true to your authentic self. And the need to understand that people are that way inclined. Now, to me, that's a very discerning idea. Um, if we can really believe that people want to be authentic, etc., we will find it far more readily in them. Obviously, uh, the requirement would be that we ourselves learn to be authentic. But I love that principle. You need to understand that people are that way inclined. Um, in other words, you see them behind all the words they speak and the actions that they really want to be authentic, there's a good part to them. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Louis, thanks for raising that because, you know, apart from our personality, we've got what we will call various intelligences. We all have a different IQ or EQ. We interact with other people. Uh, some people do it well, others not. Uh, the ethical side of it, the wellness side of, of your body, the all of that, together with all the other things we mentioned before, uh, that makes up who you are. 
Now, as human beings, we tend to put these things in boxes because that's the way we find patterns and we, we like to analyze it. But the fun really starts, and, and Adrian, you mentioned it earlier on, where you can actually get all of those things to flow, where it, it is a flow because that is the way we are as human beings. It's You don't think in terms of little boxes in, of, of your talents that you have. Mm. So I think it's very important to, to get that authentic uh, person in front of you. Uh, that person will just end up being a far better leader. So if, if someone is not right in the job that he or she is in, you've got to do something about it. I've seen in my career that someone works for one company and gets nowhere, then moves to another company and all of a sudden blossoms and is fantastic. So what's the difference? The person or the way in which he was handled? Yeah, start start with who you are. So there's so much we can say about that, so much more. But let's move on to the next principle the next principle that you believe define authentic leadership and how you manage and lead your own life. It kind of builds on this one. Yes, um, I, I think it, it does. And, and to, to a great extent, uh, we've discussed a lot of these points already. Is uh, My point was you start with yourself. People want to know that you're the real thing. I have found if you're a leader uh, that acknowledges these weaknesses, or even better so, acknowledges the mistakes uh, that he might have made or she, and work with that. Uh, I have found people want to follow you because people see that uh, this person is managing his life in terms of wanting to continuously improve. Um, we all have different maturity levels, um, you know, in terms of starting off with, with uh, what a lot of scientific people have worked on and also the whole concept of modernism and postmodernism. Uh, so you are at a certain level uh, because of circumstances. That doesn't make you worse than someone who has advanced maybe further along the stages of maturity. Uh, it, it again, it just needs a leader to be honest about that, but to understand where he's at and to understand where the people are at that he's dealing with. Okay. And how to manage and lead your own life. I mean, that is a whole topic on its own in some ways, uh, from your own diary to your self-control to exercise to there's so much in that area. Louis, do you want to comment before we move to the next one? I think it's an obvious point, Arden. Um I think when you speak of that taste, you speak of the kind of general body language, also the impression that a person conveys, how you lead, how you manage your own life. Um, and the more authentic you become, obviously you become more vulnerable, but, but that's when people start trusting you. So it does make sense, doesn't it, Dace? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and those are the gems in the industry that we can think of are those authentic people, people who maybe were blessed with specific inert uh, talents in their, their management. And we get excited to work for people like that. I've been blessed to, to work for people like that for sure. And then also I've seen other people who are the reverse, who's trying to be something that, especially in the days gone by, they picked up some idea at a business school and uh, and then want to, to be that person, whereas... That's not really authentically where they are at. People know this. 
people are not stupid. People are smart. They they pick up these vibes, the body language, as you said, Lee. Yeah, so I think it's very exciting to to understand it this way. I think as leaders, we must just understand the the attraction to be what the world tells you you need to be. You know that old analogy of taking a ladder and putting it against a building and climbing all the way to the top and realizing I'm on the wrong building. I've climbed the wrong building, or um, you know the, the the attraction to to climb the corporate ladder and get to the top and believing that that's what happiness and satisfaction brings. Uh, the attraction to, to to do so many things in this world or to become someone that you're not is so amazing. That magnet, that pull is strong. And for leaders to resist it and say, no, I'm not going to go that, that way. I'm going to make sure I'm true to who I am, what my mission, my purpose, my talents, my abilities, my personal drivers are. That's becoming more and more difficult. More and more difficult, even though we should know better by now that certain attractions really does not stimulate ultimately, does not bring happiness and peace ultimately. But let's move on. You say empowering people is part of authentic leadership. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, as uh, no doubt you can see, I've, I've started with the, the individual uh, leader, and then you say, well, what is the effect of the people, uh, of this leader on his people or her people? Um, I think empowerment uh, is a word that's been overworked um, and um, empowering in South Africa especially, we see only a sliver of what it totally means, certainly in my lexicon. Um, to me, uh, the it starts with a manager. A manager gets his work done by other people. That's what makes him a manager. Now, leadership is even more so uh, uh, because that brings inspiration and trust and enthusiasm and drive, to name a few, into this whole equation. So if you're a CEO of a company, you are accountable towards the board to develop the strategy, and once the board approves it, you've got to get it implemented. Mm. But they're going to hold you accountable for that. So once you get into the company... You can't do everything yourself, and that's where the acronym RACI comes into it in terms of who's responsible, who's accountable, who do you consult, and who do you inform. It's something, if, if a listener is interested in this, you can Google. Uh, you'll, find, uh, you'll find lots of interesting ideas about it. Mm. It's a simple principle, not always easy to practice. So accountability is a big part of empowerment. If I'm the CEO of a company, I have to make sure that all parts of the business, I have someone that I can hold accountable for that part. And holding someone accountable like this means I must, uh, I must make sure that it is a unique accountability. You can't hold two people accountable for the same thing because they will pass the buck. Mm. Then secondly, also part of the accountability is you've got to give me training if, if, if I'm in that position. If, if I have gaps in my armament that I, it means I, I cannot function all that well. Uh, you must work with me. You must coach me so that I can understand where I need to learn more. Uh, I think both you and Louis mentioned that earlier on as well. And then a third point is you have to give me the relevant 
excuse me, the relevant authority to be able to deliver on what I'm being held accountable for. What I mean by that is the buck stops with me. I make the decisions. If I've made a mistake, if, if I've really messed up, I've got to go stand in front of you and be accountable, whether I physically did the work or not, because you hold me accountable. You've given me all that I need in order to do so. And that's a big part of empowerment. Once one gets to uh, that level in terms of empowering your people, that's when real fun starts in the business. Hmm. Okay, empowering people. Louis, you want to add to that? No, no. I relate what you're saying, Tays, to many practicalities around us and why people get so frustrated um, when there's no accountability. Um, and somehow the buck is passed along the way. But the way you explain it, it makes sense. If you follow these rules you've uh, portrayed, Tays, then it becomes uh, clear who is accountable, does he have the authority, and therefore... Um, Obviously, performance will follow as well. But it's quite funny. I think of some of our, uh, with respect, some cabinet ministers now is given uh, the task of being cabinet minister at the same time to carry out a specific injunction by the state president. I'm not sure how on earth they're going to be accountable, really. It's not very easy to measure. All right. Louis, you spot on on that one. You just need to watch the parliament uh, committees to see how how sadly this is handled. And also when Prabhan Gordhan was the Minister of Finance, how he could not appoint his own people to execute and to to be accountable for the finances of this country. He was intervened with. And that effectively means that uh, his boss, uh, our president, then becomes the person accountable for the finances in the business. Once you meddle, You've taken it out of my hands. You can't hold me accountable for that anymore. Very important point. Partially the challenge we face with state-owned enterprises, I would I would uh, venture to say. All right. Uh, you also feel that ethics is synonymous with authentic leadership. Expand for us. I think we all realize we need ethics in our businesses. KPMG, McKinsey, ESCOM, uh, need I say more? Yes. Um, exactly. And again, to me, it starts like we've been saying with me as an individual. I need to know what my values are before I can start to work with the values within my company if I'm a leader of a company. Uh, again, the authenticity comes through. If, uh, if I have uh, an idea that ethics are easy, I'm, I'm very naive. Uh, and I must say, I used to be like that. I, I saw at the university they would appoint someone a professor, a professor in ethics. And as a young man, I thought, boy, that guy <laughs> has got an easy job. He go, goes to take the Ten Commandments and he puts that uh, on his table and then he can go golfing because those are the laws. Or he goes to the laws of the land. It's, it's far, far more complicated than that. Mm. And that's one one has to have a good base in terms of your values um, and and work on trust in terms of doing that. And and when ethics become difficult, and in our country it does become difficult, if you, for instance, are raised, and, and I'm quoting a specific uh, uh, 
instance with a client where he was from a very poor family, but in the tribe where he was at, uh, in the Transkai, people helped him through finances, etc., to get to the top point in, in a very uh, big organization. And then one of his cousins applied for a job. He had an ethical problem because in terms of where he came from, those leaders there expect him to appoint this guy without even looking at the other candidates because that's how they apply their ethics. Yet, as we know, in a company, he couldn't do so. So for this person to be ethical, he had to put this on the table. He had to go and speak to someone to get some good guidance and coaching about it uh, to make sure. That, to me, is always a good example of how you deal with ethics. Uh, is con- discuss it with people. Tell people what your problem are, your problems are, so that uh, you can resolve it uh, together. Thanks, Tace. Louis? Uh, Tace, um, you know, everything comes together in one big hole, and one tends to analyze things, you know, like ticking the boxes. But what you're speaking about now makes me realize, for instance, the real dangers of various forms of patronage. Um, because it's not the case that you, you are putting somebody ahead of somebody else because of whatever the constellation may be, belongs to my group or my race or whatever the case may be. It's actually the very serious um, ethical considerations that flow from that one. That's, that's not just the, the trigger to all kinds of corruption. If you go that route, um, then we're going to end. What's going to stop you from uh, crossing line after line? So it all boils down to your personal ethics and then to what extent it is applied universally, openly. And, uh, and our country has become a real challenge because we've, we pull that trigger and then a lot of preferences, a lot of choices, a lot of positions are pointed based on some kind of patronage. So it has a far more uh, crucial impact on the individual than we realize. You know, it's not easy to stop that process. Not so, uh, Thais? Yes, absolutely. And and I think, again, Louis, I know why you're the wise old man on this program. You've summed it up very well. I'm, I'm not going to repeat that, but I totally agree with you. And um, and that's what makes ethics such an important thing in the boardroom. Um, and it's, it's a, a huge part of corporate governance. I mean, another example I can mention, if somebody steals from you in a company, what do companies normally do? They would try to get the money back and they fire the person and there the person goes. Ethically, what they need to do is they need to go to the police and make a case against this person because that person is a thief. If someone breaks into their house and he catches the thief, then then he would want him to go uh, and be prosecuted. Why not otherwise? It's It's... It's that trust that we need to build all over. It's very difficult. Um, I, I respect people, uh, like one of the companies I'm involved in uh, is with a guy, uh, Graham Power. You might know, know him. He started unashamedly ethical as an organization. I always said to him at the time, I really admire him because you being a very brave person in doing that because you're putting yourself out there. If, 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 if someone then thinks that you are unethical in a certain way, they're going to have a go at you. But if your approach and your values are correct, you will say, okay, I would like to listen to you because maybe I can learn from this. If I've made a mistake, help me to understand that so that I can, 
continuously improve in terms of my ethics. That's the way to handle it, and, and certainly that's what, what I've seen that a guy like Graham does. Yeah, I mean, we're touching some very sensitive points here. I know in our business masterclass with Richard Angus that follows on our, our leadership masterclass every Monday, usually one o'clock, um, they also have, a, I think, a monthly feature, ethics and business, and I think one should all tune into that. But it's very tough. You've got a, a, a highly regarded manager high up in your business who's very successful, and then one day some corrupt or um, unethical practices are exposed and you ask him to go. You don't necessarily fire him because he's been so good to the business. He's uh, delivered consistently, so you let him go. And then years later, he might come back and say, listen, please, I've learned all my lessons. I've tried other things in my life. I've failed businesses and so on. Can you please employ me? I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. And then one might consider, okay, bring him back. Uh, you know, what message do you send to the organization when you do that? Do you want to send a message of forgive and forget? Do you want to send a message of, sorry, man, we'll help you in other ways, but we're not going to re-employ you? And and so we look in politics. Same thing again, Tace. We've got uh, people who, uh, you know, were caught out uh, with um, unethical behavior. Later we see them back in another position as a deputy minister somewhere or as a spokesperson here or there. It's a, it's a very interesting dilemma and, and, and the point of, of conversation or dialogue. We decide as a society how high our standard is. How high is our standard? And it's all up to us. You also speak then, next point that you've got is dealing with diversity when it comes to authentic leadership. Yes, especially in this country, uh, Adrian and Louis, as you know, it's, it's extremely important to understand that. And again, that's why I like this holistic uh, or uh, integral way of working so so much here. Because if we as a company can sit down, and certainly um, in the companies I've been in, we've, we've certainly uh, did this or tried to do it, where we sit down and understand, get someone to stand up and say, in terms of your culture, can you please tell us... Uh, how do we deal with certain things if it was purely in terms of your culture so that we can get to an understanding? If, if I understand you, then I can, I can more easily work with you. Uh, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a very important point uh, in terms of, of especially in the, in the 90s when we had to, to uh, do away with the old South Africa where you were told what to do, and maybe even in a language that you didn't understand, and then if you failed, you were fired because you are stupid. That That mm. is a way in which uh, a lot of business is done. Whereas if I understand how you view things and you understand how I view it, this is also a way in which uh, we've seen, especially in the Western Cape where we've got Muslim communities, Jewish communities, and, and Christian community, you, you can deal with that diversity by taking the common denominators, which, uh, as we all know, is there. The, if you look at the values of all of these faiths and religions, then uh, you, you can find a way of dealing with things. And you can also be sensitive to areas where other people in your company um, are uncomfortable. For instance, one company where we had a 24-7 operation, we found that 
after we've done a lot of dealing with diversity and and structured some of the work that we did on an ongoing basis, when Christmas time came around, the Muslim people came and said, "We uh, we will take over all the Christian shifts over over uh, Christmas so that you can have time to uh, to celebrate." And then when Eid ca- came around, then the Christian people did the other. So uh, that that just builds on an organization where uh, trust, mutual trust within groups, uh, mm. are so strong. It's yeah. It's again, uh, Adrian, you mentioned the, the, the iceberg. It's, it's all below the line uh, that you have to understand. If I understand you, I can much more easier be your friend and your colleague. I must say, for, for leaders out there, this integral model, Louis, that, um, that, that the coaching center, TCC, promotes so strongly is growing on me by the minute. Uh, something that, that struck me over the weekend, Tace, is... As we say, we all have this individual interior that no one can see. So it's what drives you. It's, it's what makes you tick. Uh, but, but it's not visible. And I've discovered more than ever before that the moment, and the culture is part of that, individual culture, family culture, business culture. But the moment, the moment I engage you, Tace, on things, and we're going to dialogue around that which is in your interior, and I start understanding your interior, you start understanding mine, then our relationship goes to another level. It, it goes to another level visibly even. And, 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 and that's, there's a powerful principle there that we as leaders must get our people to talk to one another, listen to one another about what is inside me and inside you, what makes you tick, what makes me tick in, in, in all kinds of relationships. Because then immediately, the relationship catapults into a, a deeper connection, which you will not get if you don't talk about some of those things. Yes, well spoken, Adrian. Absolutely agree with you. Let's go to the last point that you raise when it comes to, uh, to, 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 to authentic leadership. Dealing with failure. Surely all these successful leaders have never tasted failure. I mean, everything just goes keeps going right, like Toyota. <laughs> yeah, which is obviously nonsense, hey. But dealing with failure from big to small, I would guess. Your f- comments on that, and then we move on to broader issues. Yeah, look, this is quite a, a favorite of mine. Is um, is again, if if one can <coughs> see your your failure for what it is, deal with it, um, fix it, and then move forward. It's 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 a way of human beings. This this is the way we've evolved over all the millions of years. Mm. Uh, we tried doing it this way, it didn't work. Then we tried another way, and we kept on until we found a way. If you think about the Americans putting a man on the moon, look at all the failures they've had. Yet we want to have this picture that um, uh, a leader never fails. I mean, there's a, a very famous... Uh, a carrot-headed president somewhere in this world who will tell you he's never failed. He's he's always won everything that he's ever done. I feel <laughs> sorry for him. I really do. I I think in in certain ways he's missing out on a lot of learning that he can do. And and maybe that's just his rhetoric that he's that he's uh, uh, speaking about. But let's get back to companies um, again. 
there is a, a business principle called continuous improvement that was uh, developed by a guy called Deming, um, and the Japanese uh, like this idea, the same uh, Toyota company that you just spoke about, and and they um, they embraced it, and, and that's where uh, just in time and continuous improvement and, and people involvement in business, all of that came along. If you if you continuously fail at the same uh, thing in the same way, then obviously there is a, a fundamental problem that you have to deal with. But normally, uh, people want to learn from their failures. And, and again, I've seen in business and now with clients, we, we coach them into dealing with failure. Uh, I mean, you know the famous saying of, of Einstein, if you keep on doing things in the same way that you've done before, how can you expect a different result? Mm. Um, or at least people say he said that. You know, Einstein also said that the Internet was most probably the best invention ever. So be careful what you believe, what people say Einstein said. But whoever said this, the, the fact is uh, <clears throat> we need to, to continuously improve as individuals and in the organization hmm. and not punish people in a bad way when they fail. Um, obviously, <clears throat> one has to do this with discernment, but in general, I think that is, is the rule that I would start off with. Thanks. I've, I've picked up on a little bad habit you have on the show, and that is raising points that each deserve their own show. So we, we must we must start <laughs> changing this. I mean, dealing with failure, you just trigger so many points that I have. Uh, you know, it, it's the perceived failure, isn't it? I think the first thing is to 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 perceive whether uh, they say if you learn from a so-called failure, then then nothing is a failure in life. Uh, if you don't learn from it, then maybe you can perceive it as a failure. I think of of an executive who thinks he's, he he deserves the next, shall we say, uh, promotion. And um, when he goes for his interviews, he fails once, twice. Then he feels, I'm a failure. I have failed. But, but has he really? What, what, what am I supposed to learn from this that I'm not learning? So the same problem or challenge or obstacle comes around over and over, and I'm not learning something. But th- this, this is a whole topic on its own. How do you, it's almost failure quotient, failure intelligence, because we fail every day. I go out on my run. I want to do, do it in 45 minutes. I do it in 47. Did I fail? Anyway, so let's let's put that aside now. We've got a few minutes left on the show, and um, when I talk to people about Tace Lopesha, um certainly I had a discussion with Patty, Dr. Patty Pampalas, who's been on the show a few times. She said you're someone that have wisdom. I'm going to ask you a very logical question. I mean, and your answer could be very simple, but what has brought you to that point of wisdom in life? Well, thank you, and thank you, Patty, for that compliment. Um, I don't see myself as having wisdom because that's that's part of the fact of of otherwise thinking. Well, if I'm if I have wisdom, that means I can now relax and go and sit like the Buddha under the tree. And uh, well, no, let me not say that. That's not fair to Buddha. I apologize for that. But you know what I'm saying. I can go and sit somewhere, and people just come to me, and I give them advice like a wise old sage. <laughs> I don't believe in that. Uh, when I turned 50, which is a very long time ago, uh, I realized one thing, uh, and Paddy was my coach at that stage, incidentally, that if I 
if I want to use this vast experience that I've had, I need to do one big thing, and that is to continue to learn all this time. And that's what I've been doing, and um, and that's what I will keep on doing until the day when when I die. Um, that's that's where where real wisdom comes from. Uh, that's why I really love the the whole principle of of Zen, where um, on the one hand they will tell you that let's say something like mindfulness is very easy if you go to a, a someone who is a, a, a master in that area, he will say uh, mindfulness is very easy and it is the most difficult thing that I have to work on in my life. It's the one and the other, which uh, again, you know, one day you must speak to Patty about polarities because there's a, a topic for, for quite a few shows in that, in oh, yeah. dealing with, uh, with things of that nature. So, Thanks for the compliment, but uh, I, I I I refuse to see myself in that way because uh, I want to keep on getting better. I think there's wiser, much wiser people than me out there that I want to learn from. Okay, you passed the test. Uh, you obviously are wise because you don't think you're wise. That that's the real test. So <laughs> so we can say you're there. Uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated. You you've had a magnificent career. No doubt, twenty years ago, you could have retired and just gone and lived next to the bush and or in Cape Town where you live now, uh, which is, also sounds beautiful. But you 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 seem to have gone, shall I say, the coaching route, where you do a lot of coaching. You've somehow bumped into the coaching center during the course of your career, um, and. And of course, you've expanded your knowledge a great deal around this field. But why did you go that route? What made you, yeah, I don't know, maybe you do more than just coaching, but, but my, my impressions are that's a large part of your life. Well, I, I think it's the principle of uh, integral thinking that, that started to help me to open up uh, everything. There's nothing that you cannot handle with an integral approach. And if, if, if you are skilled in using that, you can work with anything, uh, that we perceive with our senses. And that's what fascinated me, even whilst I uh, was a, still a CEO of companies where I could, could, uh, already then say to myself that one day when I uh, am deemed to be too old for the job that I'm in and they want to bring in new blood, which has to happen. This is what I would want to do. So this is not all that I do. I'm also a businessman. I've got some of my own businesses and um, and that pays for, for a lot of uh, food on the table. But uh, what I'm really passionate about is this whole learning uh, of integral and, and obviously one can apply that so very well in a coaching situation. It's, um, it's to me, it's, it's just fascinating. And then to be able to have the privilege of spending sacred time in working with a client, uh, that really is fantastic. Uh, you know, I've, I've done some work in, in Eskom, for instance, coaching some of the people who are just below the, the levels of, of the people that we know of. And for them, having integral coaching to help them to cope 
with with all of the problems that we all know of, uh, that was was priceless. It, it, I've learned so much from it in the process. I've learned of 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 suffering in a different way than what what I would have perceived it before I started off. You know, one walks in with a preconceived idea. So yes, I must say I and also in the process I've become a, a, a young scholar. I I really uh, enjoy uh, to learn more and more about how this very smart guy a hundred years ago foresaw a lot of these things. I've mentioned before he was the first guy, in my knowledge, to start to look at personality in a psychological way. Now I'm an engineer of training. Uh, but psychology, uh, I found something new and, and I find it fascinating to learn from it from a union point of view. Thais, how, how different is business since you were up there? So as I mentioned earlier, you were leading PEP 20 years ago. Well, then you had already led it for seven, eight years or, or longer. You ended that leadership stint 20 years ago. And of course, it's, it's, I guess it's grown hugely since then even. So how, what is different in, in businesses today? Because the last 20 years seem to have escalated. Uh, we speak of the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, what is that again? Something and, yeah, um, Theo Feltzman always mentions VUCA. But it's a very, it's a crazy world we live in. What's changed? No, absolutely. It is. Let me, let me just correct something. Um, I only really, uh, Retired from, from being a CEO about six years ago. Um, so, uh, but still your question is relevant. I have found that in the last six years, number one, technology has made a huge different, difference to the way in which we manage things. Uh, yes, of course there were cell phones and internet and, and email and, and even Twitter and and Facebook was there, but if you see how that has evolved and how fast that has evolved, and that I pick up through my interaction the way I do it at the moment, it has changed a lot, and it's uh, it's going to change and continue to change even faster. Yet I know that the principles that we discussed here today still apply, and in some cases it applies even more. If we if we start to think of artificial intelligences and and the effect that that could have on the way forward, we're certainly going to need to think of that in a very holistic way. Uh, otherwise, it could be the end of uh, of mankind. Who knows? Oh, for sure. Louis, any comments from the last few minutes? Making um, uh, frantic uh, notes. Uh, Tais, um, in terms of what has evolved or changed. The level of pressures on people. Sorry, can you just repeat that? It wasn't too clear. In terms of Arden's question, what has changed? You're feeling on the level of pressures on people, on leaders specifically? Yes, I think that has increased dramatically. Um, The whole structure of companies, even in the last six years, have changed a lot. Um, And uh, that again, that's why I would say one must work with accountability even stronger because the accountability principle can be applied in a normal hierarchy structure. Sorry, I'm slipping over my words. Or it can be applied in a matrix system. It can even be applied in a Holon system. The, the way forward is very different. Today you get a lot of, uh, of 
of introverts running businesses. Whereas in my day, if you weren't an extrovert, um, you just didn't make it to the top. So, yeah, it's changed a lot, Louis. It certainly has, even in the last six years. Yeah, and, and, and that rate of change is just escalating. It's, it's a bit frightening, exciting, but hence my comment about leaders needing to learn to think universal. So, so the integral model is a universal way of thinking. It's a model that helps a leader think universal. We talk of the law of movement at uh, Leadership Platform, the fact that leaders are in the business of movement, and there's a universal law that, that, that helps you understand the three essence points around movement. And, you know, what you send out comes back. It's a universal principle. There are, uh, gravity is a universal principle and, and respect it at your own detriment. So I just want us the last few minutes. You, you seem to have led some, we know you've led large companies and, and, and I know your career didn't end 20 years ago, but I guess the PIP brand <laughs> stuck in my mind in terms of a, a big organization that you led. And then you've led some big ones after that, but you, you've also been very involved in turnarounds which I think is always of value, turnaround leadership. Are there three, four, five principles that stand out for you that you've seen work, universal principles, that must be present for a leader to be able to turn around a business or a division? Yes, there, there are. And again, I go to my last point about failure. I have failed more than what uh, I can even remember in, in terms of fixing things. Most probably if there is a way of going back on my record, you would find out that I've failed much more than what I've succeeded. Uh, it was uh, it was that approach that I found eventually helped me to, to win the war, even though I've lost some battles. Um, and again, the impact that that had on the people around you uh, I always joked when I made speeches to, in, let's say, in companies where there was a, a turnaround needed in whatever way it might have been, to say, guys, if you knew how little I knew, you would get very worried and you would start to think more about what you are accountable for and what you must do in this business because I'm not as smart as you think I am. Um, and I found that apart from the fact that people laugh about that, that uh, there was also a very clear understanding of uh, I'm part of this. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm I've bought into it. That was the big thing. And um, as I said, taking into account uh, on how to deal with diversity that certainly helped a lot to uh, to get people. Without the people supporting you, uh, you get nowhere. It might be the board. Uh, that appoints the CEO, but in a way, in those days, uh, we still work very much with an organogram. I always, my mantra was, you take the organogram and you turn it upside down, and guess who's at the bottom? It's me. So that's the principle of of uh, servant leaderhood, where you if you speak to a guy like Kurt April, Professor Kurt April from UCT. Uh, he will tell you a lot about this. Maybe mm. just a pointer for a future discussion. Yeah. The the fact is, uh, if you can get your people to realize, the person who deals with the customer is needing support. So there's a saying that I picked up somewhere that I love: is if you don't serve the customer, you better serve someone who does. Mm. Because if that's not the case, what are you doing in that company? And, and ultimately, the, the CEO 
must uh, must understand that. And and I think this whole way of servant leaderhood uh, or elements of that really stood me in good stead uh, and helped us to achieve a lot of things. But I have failed a lot, mm. uh, really. One day, a while ago, I said to Etienne van Heerden, he must help me, I want to write a book about failure, a novel. Um, it's going to be a thick one. <laughs> uh, interesting, I'm thinking, uh, and then we need to wrap it up. I'm not as smart as you think I am, and you could continue and say, and you are smarter than you think you are. <laughs> Beautiful, uh, thank you. You see, that's how we build on ideas. Yes. Now, Fantastic I, ideas. Can you end up with... Just advice to your younger self in, in, in one minute. Yeah, don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, take around what's going on around you uh, with that in mind. Um, be more adventurous. That's what, if I could speak to Tacey from 50 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what I would tell him. I would also tell him, get out of engineering faster than what you did. <laughs> Not your scene. Yeah, I think that's a little bit unfair. I mean, that, that gave you a lot of thinking <laughs> ability and analyzing, but build on that faster than you than you did, maybe, you know? Build on the people element, build on the integral element, and all those things. Exactly, exactly. Tace Lopesha uh, of MJL Consulting, thank you so much. That was a wonderful conversation. We enjoyed every minute with you and look forward to playing it on our Leadership Masterclass soon. And uh, keep doing the good work you're doing, and we'd love to connect offline and, uh, and, and exchange notes. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Adrian, and, and thanks, Louis. Thanks, uh, Tace. You used the term, use term of the gems. Uh, people who think authentically really are the gems of our society.